Our reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 26. That's the last little passage of Genesis right at the end of the book. It's on page 55 of the Church Bibles. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God had intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land and to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So this morning I'd like to share with you three real life stories. Three stories of betrayal, deceit and injustice. Three stories that show what our world is like and what people are capable of. But three stories that also illustrate the hope and assurance that we can have only in God. So our first story set in a city named Detroit, uh, in Michigan, in the US, and it's nicknamed the Motor City because of its large automotive industry, uh, or what used to be there. Richard Phillips was born in 1946 and he grew up in a blended family. 
He recalls how at age 12, uh, his stepfather accused him of stealing his watch, something that Richard hadn't done. And when he denied it, his stepfather beat him with his belt. And he beat him. And he beat him. And Richard Phillips, eventually he confessed, just to make the beating stop. That was the kind of household that he grew up in. So Phillips began uh, escaping the domestic violence by spending time on the street. And the streets taught him how to survive. The streets gave him friends. And he made a friend by the name of Fred Mitchell. By age 26, Richard Phillips was a husband and a doting father to two kids, four-year-old Rita and two-year-old Richard Jr. But he was living a double life, by day father, by nighttime drug addict. And Phillips and Fred Mitchell would hang out late at night, go to shows, and then get high together in a motel. However, one day his friend, Fred Mitchell, betrayed Phillips. He accused Phillips of a murder that he hadn't committed. Worse still, Mitchell was the one who actually committed the crime. And Mitchell was just trying to get a plea bargain with the prosecutors. So he ratted out Phillips. And Phillips would be wrongly convicted of murder and sentenced to prison for life. After almost seven years in prison, Phillips found out that Mitchell was in the same prison and he knew exactly what he had to do. So he and a friend armed themselves with uh, makeshift knives and planned to jump Mitchell in a blind spot in the prison yard. Mitchell had a chance to get his revenge, to get justice for what, uh, sorry, Phillips had a chance to get revenge and get justice for what Mitchell had done. But Richard Phillips, he maintained he was innocent all along. He said he wasn't a murderer. And something inside him stopped him that day. So he let Fred Mitchell go. And for 46 years, Richard Phillips served a prison sentence that he didn't deserve. To try and get through this tough time, he took to art and writing poetry. These are some of his paintings. And he wrote a poem. Uh, one of the verses was, Ain't it odd when you pray to God, your prayers don't seem to be heard. You can sense the frustration and the despair in his words. But finally, on March 28, 2018, Richard Phillips was completely exonerated of murder. But Phillips will never get those 46 years back, will he? The prime years of his life. Although he's been able to reconnect with his son, his daughter doesn't want to see him. And as a CNN article put it, the Phillips family had been torn apart. No wrongful compensation would ever put it back together. And personally, I feel for Phillips. His story is an example of how wrecked our world is by sin and how broken it is. As long as we're in this world, there will always be deception and violence and injustice. 
But Richard Phillips, he, he actually seems content now. He, I'm not sure if he's a Christian, but he says he never gave up hope. And this is a picture of uh, Richard Phillips giving thanks to God the day he was released from prison. Phillips can see some good that's come from his ordeal too. He, he puts it himself, it's a very good possibility I could have been dead coming up in Detroit. This is the pattern of life that's led me to this point. Can't complain, because I'm 73 years old and 95% of the guys I knew are dead. He seems to say that he's content with where he's at now and everything he's been through was necessary to get him to this point. And another quote which I liked was, we're all going to run into problems in our lives. Everyone's going to have their ups and downs. It's not so much the storms that you have to go through, it's whether you can dance in the rain. If I can do that, it won't be such a total loss. That sounds more philosophical, doesn't it? Like, we're in charge of turning a bad situation into good. It depends on our attitude. And I, I don't think it's clear if Phillips can see God in anything that's happened to him. The CNN article doesn't make that clear. It leaves it open. So let's move on to our second story. Our second story takes up more than a quarter of the book of Genesis, from chapter 37 to 50. And as you heard from Lockie, uh, it's about a young man named Joseph. Joseph was born into a working class family and helped on the family farm. He had, his father had 12 sons with four different women. So Joseph grew up with one younger brother and 10 older half-brothers. Joseph was his father's favorite and this favoritism was obvious to his brothers. So when Joseph had a dream that his brothers were bowing down to him, it created massive friction between them. At just 17, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. They had originally plotted to kill him, but one of his brothers convinced them not to. So instead, they threw him into a cistern. Now, a cistern is a large hole in the ground that was used to store water. And while they chucked him in there, they plotted their next move. When some human traffickers came along, they seized the opportunity to get rid of Joseph and profit from him. So they sold him for 20 shekels of silver, or in today's money, a mere $200. And split between the brothers, that's 20 bucks each. That's all Joseph's life was worth to them. Then they staged his death by dipping his robe in goat's blood and falsely testified to their dad that he'd been attacked by a wild animal. They deceived their father. And this crime would go undetected for 22 years. Meanwhile, Joseph was brought to Egypt and sold to a high-ranking official named Potiphar. And while Joseph was there, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered in everything that he did. And he made his way up the ranks in Potiphar's household to become Potiphar's executive assistant. Basically running the household and living like a free man in Potiphar's house. 
But one day, Potiphar's wife made a move on Joseph, and when he refused her advancements, she falsely accused him of sexual assault. Joseph was thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. But while in prison again, the Lord was with Joseph, and he found favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So again, he was elevated to a privileged position within the prison. And because of this, Joseph met two of Pharaoh's servants, one of whom would later be instrumental in Joseph's release years later. So while Joseph was looking after them, these two men had dreams, and Joseph was able to accurately interpret them. Unfortunately, one was executed, but the other was re released and reinstated to work for Pharaoh. And Joseph appealed to the released servant and said, Remember me, put in a good word with Pharaoh. But it would be another two years later before Joseph would have the opportunity to front Pharaoh. All the while, Joseph maintained his innocence, and he's recorded as saying, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even he here I've done nothing to deserve to be put in a dungeon. Joseph was innocent. When the king of Egypt had a pair of troubling dreams, Joseph was finally brought to him as someone who could interpret them. And he was able to tell Pharaoh that seven years of plenty was coming, followed by seven years of great famine. And Pharaoh was impressed. And Joseph rightly ascribed his ability to interpret dreams as coming from God. He said, I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. God was the one that interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And even Pharaoh ends up acknowledging that the Spirit of God is in Joseph. So once again, Joseph was elevated up in, Pharaoh, in the ranks and became second in command over all of Egypt. And it had been 13 years since he'd been sold into slavery, and now at the age of 30, he was second only to Pharaoh. The seven years of plenty that was foretold came and went, and two years into the famine, Joseph's brothers travelled to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. And when his brothers arrive, they don't recognise him, it's been so long, but Joseph recognises them. And at this moment, Joseph could have gotten his revenge could have gotten his justice. He could have refused them grain. He could have thrown them in prison. He could have had them uh, executed. But he chose not to take justice into his own hands. Instead, Joseph eventually revealed his true identity to his family. He moved them to Egypt. He looked after them. And he made sure they'd survive the famine. Not only do they survive, but they thrive. But despite all of Joseph's efforts to show love and compassion to them, his brothers are still wary. They think Joseph will eventually take revenge on them. They don't feel like their relationship with Joseph has been repaired. So in our passage this morning, after their father dies, they send word to Joseph that their dad appealed that Joseph forgive them. It's not clear if this was actually true. 
But what's obvious is that they didn't feel assured of Joseph's forgiveness. But Joseph acknowledges that God had been controlled in everything that happened, and that God had used their evil intentions to fulfill God's good plan. And by the end of Genesis, we have this poignant statement from Joseph in, in chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. The word intended can be translated as planned. And to harm me is more literally evil against me. Joseph said, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good. God turned the brothers' evil plans into something used for good. And this statement summarizes Joseph's story. It illustrates how Joseph, in hindsight, can see how God used even the bad things that happened to achieve something good. And that was to save many lives from the famine. Three observations I'd like to make from the story of Joseph is that firstly in Joseph you see a 17 year old boy sold, sold to slave traders, falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit, incarcerated for several years besides, despite being innocent. And in all of this, Joseph remembers God and honoured God with his actions and his words. When he resisted Potiphar's wife, he asked her, how could I do such a wicked thing? and sin against God. He remembered who his God was. And when he interpreted the dreams of the two other prisoners and of Pharaoh, he acknowledged that that ability came from God. Only God could interpret dreams. And when his brothers begged Joseph for forgiveness, Joseph remembered that he wasn't to take the place of God. We only sin against God. In everything that happened to him, both the good and the bad times, Joseph remembered God. So remember God at all times. Secondly, Joseph recognised that God is sovereign and is king over every situation. He can use any person or event for whatever purpose he wants. As readers, we're told that God was behind all of Joseph's advancements in Potiphar's house, in prison, before Pharaoh. God was the one that caused Joseph to find favour in other people's eyes. It's clear in this story that God was responsible for all that. And even though bad things happened to him, God used it in the end for a good purpose. Joseph went, went from the depths of a cistern to the heights of ruling over Egypt. And God saved many lives in the process. So God is king over every situation. Thirdly, when Joseph says to his brothers, God used their evil intentions to accomplish good, he's referring to the saving of many lives from the famine. And it's true, Joseph can look back and, and see how God worked through everything to save them. But he's still only looking at the short term. He can't see how God's plan will continue to work into the future to save lives. Because not only did Joseph and his family survive the famine, they thrived, and it was all part of God's big plan 
to make them into the nation of Israel. Like he promised to Abraham hundreds of years ago. Another part of God's plan was to bring blessing through Israel. So Joseph's ordeals were not only to save lives from earthly death, but to ultimately save lives from eternal death. So God used Joseph's circumstances to ultimately bring salvation to the entire world. Because salvation and the forgiveness of our sins is the ultimate good. It's the good we need to fix our relationship with God. The ultimate good that God can do for us is to save us from our sins. So Joseph remembers God at all times. He recognizes God as king. And he realizes that the and we should realize that the ultimate good for us is our salvation. Now then it's no surprise that our third story is also about an innocent man who was mistreated by the authorities, who was incarcerated and sentenced to death based on false testimony. He was born to an ordinary couple and was the eldest child. And as he grew up, he followed his father's footsteps and became a trader, became a builder. But at the age of 30, he left his family and home. And after encountering someone who lived in the wilderness and ate insects, he started to hang out with the riffraff of society. And his family was concerned for him. He became an itinerant and travelled from town to town and caused a scene wherever he went. And he upset powerful people by the things he said and did. One of his close associates would go on to betray him and hand him over to the authorities. He was falsely accused and didn't receive a fair trial. And there was no chance for appeals or injunctions because he was sentenced to death and killed on the same day. People mocked him and spat on him. He could have exacted justice on them, but he chose not to. Instead, he prayed to God to forgive them. He showed grace and asked for mercy for his attackers. And then he gave up his spirit and died. And to his friends, this was the worst outcome. Death seemed to have won. Evil seemed to have triumphed. And an innocent man paid the penalty for crimes that he didn't commit. And if you haven't guessed by now, this third man's name is Jesus. But what God, what was, what, sorry, what was intended to harm Jesus was actually used for good by God. Good that would save many lives from eternal death. And good that would glorify God and fulfill God's plan to save mankind. You see, God had a plan all along to send Jesus. God used the death of the innocent man, Jesus, to bring salvation to a guilty world. The injustice perpetrated against Jesus brought the ultimate good to all of humanity. I think Aussies are traditionally a bunch of laid-back optimists. That's why we have sayings like, no worries, and she'll be right. We think that it'll all work out in the end. And it's a good attitude that we have to have. 
But if we walk away today thinking that all we have to do is look at the bright side when bad things happen, or the moral is every cloud has a silver lining, or we believe the same that we have to go through the bad to appreciate the good, then I think we're actually missing the point. While we're on this earth, we are going to go through difficult and tough times. It might be from betrayal or deception or injustice. It might be getting your laptop stolen from your car or your house burning down. It might be being bullied at school or you might lose someone close to you to COVID. The challenge for us is to believe and trust that God is master over everything while these things are happening and not to get discouraged or frustrated and not to turn our back on God in the tough times. We can often look back on things and see God working in them, but while we're in them, it can be hard to see the good. When, time gets, when times get tough, remember God and he can, that He can use anything for good. And from our point of view, we're not always going to agree with God's idea of good for us. Or we're not always going to be able to see the good in everything that happens. But we can trust that God knows what He's doing. And we should submit to Him as God of the universe. But also when things are going well, don't forget God. Joseph remembered God in every situation, including the good. Being in charge of Potiphar's house and being in charge in prison and being in charge of Egypt. Joseph acknowledged God. Too often we dispense with God because things are good and we don't feel like we need Him. Don't forget that God is master over everything that happens in this world, the bad and the good. And remember God's plan for salvation, the plan to reconcile us through Jesus. This is the ultimate good that everybody needs. And we should get on board with God's plan to spread the gospel and to share the love of Jesus with others. Grow in your knowledge of the Bible so that you can share with confidence the good news of Jesus. Pray for people who don't know Jesus yet. Be generous with your time and money. Be active at church and support ministry. Live a life that shows that you have faith in Jesus and shows that you trust God. Because in Jesus we receive the ultimate good. And we need to trust that God can use anything to achieve His plans. God has a plan to save us through Jesus. And God's plans are good. So we need to make sure that we're on board with that plan. Catherine's going to play for us.
Thank you that we can be confident that your purposes will always prevail. That you can use even bad things that happen in this world for good. Thank you that your plan from the beginning of all time was to send your son to die and rise so that we might be saved and have new life in you. Lord, keep reminding us of the future you have in store for this world, that you will one day bring all things in heaven and earth together under Jesus. Help us to keep living as your people who are confident of these truths. Keep us looking back to the cross and forward to your son's return, prepared for his coming. We ask that we might be prepared to speak to others about your purposes, that we'll do that boldly, but gently and with respect. Sometimes, Lord, we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day details of our lives that we fail to see the ways that you are working and how we can be a part of your purposes. Give us eyes to see your world and the relationships we have the way that you do. Speak to us this week, Lord, and fulfil in us by your Spirit all your purposes for your glory. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now we're going to close with our last song, My Heart is Feeling.